Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a very good morning to you as we welcome you along to the Good Friday edition of the uh, programme. Hoping we find uh, each of you well. My thanks to John Paul for standing in for me for the last uh, two days. And just to let you know what happened, Marcia got her vaccine on Wednesday or on Tuesday and I have to say to get to have gotten the phone call to say that she was due to get her vaccine was like a lotto win and I hadn't mentioned anything about it until I was absolutely sure that she was getting her vaccine so she got her vaccine around lunchtime on Tuesday everything went fine she was fine when she came home on uh, Tuesday and then it was Tuesday night into Wednesday morning she spiked a really really high temperature and it is one of the side effects of the AstraZeneca vaccine I think I read one in a hundred people will spike temperature following the AstraZeneca and her temperature went scarily high and it was just so difficult to watch her because she was scared, she didn't know what was wrong with her, she was just feeling miserable uh, and then trying to get the temperature down and it was a real battle to get the temperature down but we we eventually did but I tell you what was and it is hard to watch any child you know who's not well and any parent will tell you particularly with high temperatures and you're constantly every 15 minutes taking the temperature to see is it ever going to come down when is it going to come down and then it would come down and then it would spike back up again and it was tepid sponging her and you know at four o'clock in the morning it's just such a scary place to be when a child is unwell but you know I thought about it afterwards at least we knew what was wrong and what was going on we knew it was a direct result of the vaccine and we knew that it would settle and that she would be fine and I'm glad to report she's like she was like a spring chicken this morning she's in, in fabulous form uh, thank God but and she's now well on the road to being fully vaccinated which is such a huge huge relief but it struck me when I was watching her you know feeling so unwell on Wednesday and Thursday my God if she actually got COVID-19 what would it have been like for her what it would be like for us because back in when we were celebrating International Women's Day and I had all the various well-known women joining me on the programme one of the questions remember we'd given them all set 10 questions. One of the questions I'd asked all all of the women was, you know, what keeps you awake at night or what will wake you up at night? And all of them I was delighted to report. None of them had anything really that kept them awake at night. And if the question had been flipped over to me, 
I would say 100% what keeps me awake at night since this pandemic has begun was the fear that Marsha would get COVID-19 and become so unwell that she would need to be hospitalised. And we know what happens when somebody gets hospitalised because of the nature of COVID-19. They're in hospital on their own. They don't have any visitors. And I was, you know, it just I used to lie awake at night thinking, how would she cope? What, what would happen if she ended up in hospital? And I remember in the very early days of the pandemic, one of the earlier deaths was a woman from Dublin. And I unfortunately don't have a name for her, but she was on the news one one evening talking about her in her eyes, her little boy. It was a, her son was in his mid fifties and he had been born um, with Down syndrome. And, you know, she'd looked after this, as she said, her little boy for 55 years. And unfortunately, he got COVID-19 and she was on the news because he had passed away. And she was talking about the hospital where he was, contacted her. Obviously, they knew that he didn't have long left and they were doing a FaceTime call with her or a Zoom call with her and they held the iPad to this man in the bed and uh, he his mother started talking to him and, and he heard her voice and he just you know his eyes fluttered and he looked to see where, where she was and, he, and and she said he smiled and then he closed his eyes and that was it he slipped into a coma and uh, he died a couple of days uh, later and that was her last contact uh, with him but I just the I just thought for that gentleman you know and he tried to see where where his mother was I just it was absolutely heartbreaking and I remember watching that and thinking goodness me if Marcia got you know COVID-19 and we would have no way of knowing you know would she be able to fight it would she battle it would she be okay or could she end up like that and it just and I remember thinking when are they ever going to get a vaccine when and at this stage we weren't even anywhere near vaccines so um Delighted that she's been vaccinated and if we had to have two days of a slight high temperature, she's fine. She's fine. So I say to everyone, please, if you get offered your vaccines, take your vaccines. And the most important thing over the next few weeks, we all just need to uh, keep to the restrictions as hard as the restrictions are. And we're all fed up of it and we're all sick of it. And we're all, you know, here we are, another Easter uh, in lockdown and you can't visit family and you can't visit friends. And I know that 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 is hard, but we do it to protect our ourselves but we do it more than anything to protect the very vulnerable in our community so please everybody just hang in there uh, we're you know we're on the home stretch now that the vaccines uh, have uh, arrived and I have to say you know I was particularly glad to see the hotel quarantine system up and uh, running but it, it's getting a little bit frustrating that the the whole why we have a hotel quarantine uh, list there there's extra countries that should be added to this list but now we've got the government uh, saying that they don't want to include some of the EU countries which is very high COVID figures and they don't want to include people from the US and this is despite public health advice um, the Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney has insisted that passengers from America and passengers from EU countries should not be required to pay for hotel quarantining on their arrival. Now it seems the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly who has 
come in for a lot of flack. He's actually proposed adding 43 more countries to the quarantine list. Now, some of those countries would include France, it would include Germany and it would include Italy. And if anyone has been keeping an eye on France, Germany and Italy, you will know that their figures are gone really, really high uh, again. And Stephen Donnelly, very anxious to have these countries added to the list. The Chief Medical Officer, Roland Glynn, also very supportive that of the addition of the EU uh, countries. And his big fear is that there are new variants and there's high levels of COVID transmission in those nations. Uh, but despite the imminent tre- threat to Ireland's COVID strategy, Simon Coveney says further consultation and discussion with the EU is needed before more countries could be added uh, to the list. And a Fine Gael minister said Simon Coveney was concerned at the impact it would have on Irish citizens working and studying abroad. There were also concerns within Fine Gael uh, about forcing senior managers from the big US firms, the big tech firms, I suppose, in particular, that they don't want to have to ask them to quarantine if they decide to come to Ireland. Now, Stephen Donnelly has now added 27 new uh, countries, but as I say, he wanted to add 43. And the new countries that have been uh, added, oh, by the way, Mauritius got removed, uh, but the new countries now that have been added are Albania, Andorra, Bahrain, Ethiopia, Israel, Jordan, Kosovo, Kuwait, Lebanon, San Marino, Moldova, Monaco, Montenegro, Nigeria, Oman, Palestine, the Philippines, Puerto Rico, Qatar, Serbia and Somalia. And you straight away think, do we have many visitors coming on a daily basis from those uh, countries? That's the first thing I have to ask. But anyway, they're the new ones that have been added. Simon Coveney uh, was, uh, you have to also remember, he was among those who has always resisted the introduction of hotel uh, quarantine. Neffet first recommended to the government that we should have hotel quarantine and they recommended it back in May. So it's taken from last May until March of this year to have it introduced and now we've introduced it and there's a sense is a kind of a half-arse measure that we've actually introduced if there's countries that are being identified where there's high risk of new variants and where they have very high levels of COVID transmission then surely it's very acceptable that we should be asking people coming from those countries to go into uh, quarantine and already in the very we're not even a week into hotel quarantine and early on in the week three people who went into that to the hotel in Dublin three people have already tested positive for COVID-19 and they would have been three people who got onto a plane with a negative COVID test and then they were tested on arrival and it, it seemed they were actually breeding it when they got their original test and it hadn't surfaced. So three, three people straight away who could have been out in the community shedding it before they would, because they didn't even realise that they had it. Stephen Donnelly is adamant that more countries need to be added and he says there is a real and a present threat from these new variants and he wants these countries added to the list as soon as possible. And one, cl- one source said that Mr Donnelly does have the power to add countries to the quarantine uh, list and he can do it on the advice of the expert travel group. So watch this space. It is possible that Stephen Donnelly may do it. And it seems there was a meeting between Simon Coveney and Stephen Donnelly and it was suggested that Gardaí could do more checks on people quarantining at home who do arrive from EU countries and at least let us be doing that. Simon Coveney's decision to stop 
high-risk countries being added to the list did follow the Attorney General, him writing to Stephen Donnelly, highlighting legal concerns with charging EU citizens for hotel quarantining. But we already are, because we've got Austria. Austria are a member of the EU and they are... Are they, they, Austria are a member of the EU and they must get John Paul to check that but they, they're already on the list anyway the expert travel advisory group has identified three criteria for that they feel should be included now the first rule is the the variance of concern and that's where a virus has a high rate of transmission severity and inability to escape immune response second criteria will be the number of cases and they're saying any country that has 500 per 100,000 they should definitely be on the list and that obviously would straight away include France, Germany and uh, Italy. And the third category is where infection rates are two and a half times that of what our figures are in Ireland. But Simon Coveney has raised the question of Irish people coming home and questioned if they should if we should be putting them into hotels and obviously charging for them. And he used the example of France. There are 20,000 Irish people in France and he said many come home for the summer and he said a lot of them are uh, students. Now I suppose it might, you might have a case to argue with students but I mean Irish people living and working in France when you say they have to be allowed home for the summer. You look to other, you look to countries like Australia to look to Australia and New Zealand there's a waiting list because they're limited on the number of hotel spaces that they have and they say to everyone regardless of if you are from Australia or not unless you have a genuine reason for coming into the country they simply won't allow you in and then if you they, you do get the go ahead to go in you then have to go onto a list until a hotel space is uh, available and we look to those countries as kind of the role models for how they have done it we know hotel quarantine works but we have to make sure that we do it right. Thank you to so many people calling and texting wishing Marcia well. Thank you. And I'm sorry I got upset, but you, I think regular listeners will know when, when at times when I talk about Marcia, drop a hat, I can be in tears. One listener says, was that Marcia's second jab? Because my special needs daughter wasn't well after her first injection this week and now I'm worried about the second. No, it was her first. And listen, I've done so much research over the last few days uh, about these um, effects that you can get after a vaccine. And it happens not to everyone. It, on the AstraZeneca on the first jab and it's basically it's the body responding going whoa what's going on here it's actually a good sign because it means the immune system is really starting to work and normally what happens with the AstraZeneca the second jab 12, 12 weeks later they shouldn't not to say that they won't but there shouldn't be any uh, side effects because the body's already used to what's going on because it's been building up the immunity over the last 12 weeks it's, it's different then it seems for the Pfizer and the Moderna the first jab doesn't seem to be any after effects and then for some people the second jab they will get uh, they will get you know a spike in temperature or feeling a little bit unwell but it's different for everybody I've heard of loads of people that had the vaccine didn't have any side effects at all and then I've heard of others who were very similar to Marcia spiked this massively high temperature and almost felt flu-like for a day or two and then just disappears all gone away Nicola Infidown says Patricia you expressed the feelings of all of us so well my children and grandchildren all live in England haven't seen them since February of last year now well over 12 months so sad I have a bicuspid heart valve and still not vaccinated so scared yeah I think it's just it's that fear factor is every, all of us want particularly if you're anyway medically vulnerable you want to be vaccinated or you want your loved one uh, to be vaccinated and uh, this is from our cork man living in Germany who regularly texts the programme always good to have you along but she's delighted to hear that your daughter Marcia got her vaccine and I hope now she stays safe and fingers crossed thank you well 
what can I say about the government? Oh my God, not putting France, Italy and Germany onto the hotel quarantine list is a joke. It really is a shambles. I live in Germany and it is very, very serious what's going on here. We have had over 200,000 cases in the last few days and we're in a lockdown, but not really. And France today with an incident rate of over 300 and Ireland didn't put those countries onto the quarantine list. I really can't understand it. It's a joke. Father Ted would run the country better. Stay safe and hope all goes uh, well. Happy Easter to uh, all. And that's from our Cork man who regularly listens to us in uh, Germany. And Vera in Sunday as well. Wanted to wish Marsha all the best. Thank you for, uh, for that. And you're right, says Vera, about restrictions. When I was saying to people, just hang in there for another few weeks. Vera says, I was walking yesterday around Fitzgerald's Park in the city and the amount of people gathered in groups having picnics and out drinking. Lovely to look at, lovely to see. But I was thinking, we're living in the middle of a pandemic. They can't all possibly be in the same social bubble. And while I do feel people need to get out and about walking, particularly with the fine weather that we have, everybody needs to enjoy themselves uh, and everybody needs to enjoy themselves. But we all just need to abide by the restrictions for a few more weeks. And if we do it, if we all stay safe, then those scenes, like what Vera witnessed in Fitzgerald's Park, will all be able to do those in the months ahead. We all need to help each other out. And thank you to, thanks for that, Vera. And thank you to John Paul who pointed out because I wasn't too sure if Austria was in the EU or not. Austria are in the EU and Austria have been on the state's hotel quarantine list from from last week when, when it was first introduced. So I don't understand why Simon Coveney says that we can't be seen to charge people coming from uh, EU countries. Is it that they're afraid that the bigger powers like France, Germany and Italy is because it's those countries that they're afraid to upset them. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. For this time last year, as we headed into Easter with lockdown restrictions in place, none of us could have foreseen that we'd be in the same place a year on. So once again, on this Good Friday, we've invited two of our local bishops to join us with their Easter thoughts. Good morning to Bishop Paul Colton, Church of Ireland's Bishop of Cork, Cloyne and Ross, and Roman Catholic Bishop of Cloyne, William Crane. Good morning, gentlemen. You're both very welcome to the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning, Bishop. Good morning, Good morning Bishop Paul. Now, if I can start with you, Bishop Colton, how difficult a year has this been for your church? It's been hard. It's been very distressing in particular for people who've been ill, who've been working on the front line, and very, very distressing for people who've uh, buried loved ones and uh, had to uh, hold funerals in circumstances that we're just not used to in Ireland. Very, very distressing, heartbreaking at times, and also for young couples trying to plan their wedding days. So in all sorts of ways, it has been hard. But that's not to say that there haven't been signs of of hope and joy as well. I mean, the efforts that people have gone to in voluntary work, uh, going the extra mile for other people. And I know that people who've been working in our hospitals, our nursing homes, really have been pushed to the limit of their professionalism and their humanity, but they really have gone the extra mile. So it's been hard, but it hasn't been without its high points and its joys as well. Well done. And Bishop William, have you ever put down a year like this before? Uh, no, uh, and I much, very much echo the sentiments of uh, Bishop Paul. Uh, just the sheer challenge that it has been for everybody at all kinds of levels, uh, both uh, 
the, on the front line, as he mentioned so well, uh, but for families, work circumstances, uh, just across all the dimensions of life, but also with some positives that uh, have uh, presented themselves in the midst of all the trial. And reaching out online, that has really helped you and stay connected with your congregations. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, there are... Uh, there are priests and people who had no familiarity with the intricacies of technology who have come up to speed at a dramatic rate <laughs> and uh, are, are, are pleasantly surprised with their capacity to manage it. But it has really, it's really the great gift of technology in the, in the midst of this. Uh, with all its capacity, but also, I suppose, with its limitation, you know, the fact that it's virtual, that we cannot be there in person. Uh, you know, we we have a sense of some of the richness of our gathering, but also some of its poverty by virtue of the fact that we can't be together. Mm, mm. And Bishop Paul, uh, reaching out online, nothing really new to you, certainly from from the, the Twitter point of view. And I loved your, your nightly message to people. That got great reaction. Well, it seemed to touch a nerve, you know, and it was just short and simple and asking people to pause and if they prayed to pray and if they didn't simply to pause and to reflect, you know, and I'd agree with Bishop William, you know, that the online opportunities have been immense. They've been demanding because we've all been learning new technologies, as he said. This time last year, I'd never edited anything on iMovie and I didn't didn't own a a microphone recorder. Now I'm nearly as well equipped as you, Patricia. uh, Steven Spielberg, watch out. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly it. But it's not quite the same. I mean, it's it's really met a need, you know, but there is a physicality about worship. And the church is all about gathering and getting together. And, you know, you're there and the sacraments are, there's a physicality about the sacraments as well as a spiritual dimension, you know. And it's very different when you're together with other people and you can see the candles flickering or smell the incense and all of that's very different from watching it on a screen so we look forward to getting back Mm. to normal indeed I thought we'd be back to normal by yesterday because this time last year I said to everybody we always have a service on Holy Thursday in Ross Carberry and this time last year I said see you next year in Ross Carberry but we weren't there yesterday I remember as well and and how do you both feel about the current uh, restrictions I mean do you think churches can be operated safely for for service Bishop William do, do you think we could uh, be doing more? Um, no, I, I've been mentioning that and have been in receipt of lots of messages from, from people, emails and letters, uh, many of whom are quite angry and frustrated that we are not gathering. And I can appreciate the frustration and I can appreciate the anger. Uh, but uh, right now, uh, it is partly... Uh, our actual gatherings in very small numbers are probably safe and there is seems to be no indication that they pose a risk for people but it, there is no doubt that the subsequent gatherings mm. uh, either outside or in other settings have certainly added to the uh, spread of the virus so we seek 
to support the public health guidelines simply for the common good. We make a fast, in a sense, for the greater good in this context. It's not that we are being refused the opportunity together. It is, in a sense, that we're deferring it until such time as it is safe for all of us together. Bishop Paul, do you feel the same? I do, and I think Bishop Crean has put it very well. You know, I think it's safe in our church buildings, but this is a sacrifice we have to make in solidarity with everybody else who has to be closed at the moment. There are lots of people who feel they can open safely, you know, and uh, this is part of the sacrifice that we're making at the moment. And as Bishop Crean says, it's not just a matter of 25 or 50 people in a big building. It's about the coming and the going and the gathering afterwards. And, you know, I... If I did a confirmation service, well, people would go home and they'd gather, all of that. So it's about the movement. And, you know, we're told still that the situation is very precarious. So we have to take that public health uh, message very, very seriously. And as far as I know, the churches are doing exactly that by showing solidarity at the moment. We'd much rather, of course, to be open for Easter and blowing trumpets and ringing bells Mm. and all of that. But we just can't this year. We have to stay safe. And and I knew when I was going to both you on the programme that I would get inundated with the question summed up by uh, Amy uh, could you please ask uh, the bishops when can we expect First Holy Communion or Confirmation uh, ceremonies uh, Bishop William what's what's your current advice on it? Uh, I mean judging uh, you know from the programme that has been published uh, it seems to me that it would be late May into June at the earliest that we can safely conti- or that we can contemplate a gathering safely uh, and well the advice that I've given and suggestion to both principals and to parents uh, is really not to make specific plans until such time as we can identify dates mm-hmm. and so I'm suggesting late May at the earliest and probably the month of June. Are you the same, Bishop Paul? Well, I'm even more cautious. I put together a a little video message for the Confirmation Age Group, and uh, it's on our YouTube channel. And in it, I said to them, look, you're not forgotten. These are very strange times. But I honestly can't say to you when we're going to get around to gathering. Um, And, uh, you know, I just don't know. You're afraid to say. I understand Bishop Green's caution as well. Uh, So what I'm saying to confirmation candidates and so on is that... uh, Look, it's a very volatile still, who knows, and we're living through very strange times. And certainly when eventually they get confirmed, they'll be uh, uh, shaping a story to tell their own grandchildren. <laughs> That's, that is very true. And then what is your own message to people listening as we head into this uh, Easter weekend? Bishop William. No, I mean, the message to us is to continue to be patient, uh, to be resilient, Uh, to think of the other, think of the common good, think of the greater good, and the prospect. And we have to be very grateful that there are uh, vaccines uh, that are in in place, that there is a programme in place, that, okay, maybe it's a little more slow than we would like, but that is a source of great hope for us. And uh, it affords the prospect of protection for as great a number as possible. So to stay patient, to continue uh, to be resilient and to continue 
the private and family dimensions of one's prayer because one's spiritual life doesn't cease just because we can't gather together. And to allow that to continue to nurture hope uh, and and a spirit of of genuine optimism in our lives, okay. even through this time. Okay, well said. Bishop Paul, your message for Easter? Well, last night we were remembering uh, the moment in the upper room when Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he told them to love one another. And I do think that the, uh, that the stay safe, protect one another message of the HSE is a dimension of loving one another. We do what we do out of regard for our neighbour and people we don't know in the community. And uh, today, Good Friday, reminds us of the suffering that uh, uh, of Jesus on, on the cross. And we all have suffered and we're all vulnerable, even leaders like ourselves. We all get anxious and we've many, many people, as I started by saying, uh, are very distressed and find this very hard. Uh, but the message of Easter is that there is hope. And I think that uh, the message of this weekend is that after the suffering, after the death, uh, comes resurrection and Easter hope and joy. So we have to look forward with confidence and with hope. And as Bishop Green says, to be patient in the meantime, which, of course, is hard to do because, you know, we're only human and we hate waiting for things. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll hang on to that message of hope. Actually, Bishop Paul, we have you on. You had an accident since I last spoke to you. I did. did I you was fall hiking at on the Mount Gabriel and you the fell at the summit. holidays last uh, yeah. Last August, and I fell and broke my shoulder. But thankfully, the, okay. the skilled surgeon in CUH gave me a new bionic shoulder, so I'm getting <laughs> back into action. <laughs> You're doing well, which is, which is fantastic. No, no stopping him. No, no, abs- absolutely not. And uh, Bishop William, a question for you: Is today uh, still a day of fast and abstinence? So it yes, is Good it Friday. Is. Yes. Yeah, it still is. Okay, and how will you both celebrate Easter? Bishop Paul, what's your plans for Easter? Well, like everybody else and like lots of other people, we're separated from family, but uh, there will be church online at St. Finbar's Cathedral and that'll be broadcast. It won't be quite the same and I'm hoping there'll be a leg of lamb. Okay. (laughs) And Bishop William, what's your plans for Easter? Well, we'll have the vigil at the cathedral at nine o'clock on Saturday evening in a, a trimmed down form but the message will be no less, the wonderful light that is ours in Christ Jesus. And I will celebrate on Easter Sunday morning. And, uh, yeah, there is uh, some uh, section of a leg of lamb in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, enjoy. <laughs> Do you know, I haven't seen Bishop Crean for the whole of this year. Have Normally you not? Yes. at things that we would meet, so... Yes. It, it, it really is, that in itself shows, Patricia, the sort of weird year we've yeah, had, to say the least. Yeah, well, please please God, we definitely won't be in this spot this time uh, next year. We will, we will definitely hang on to that. Listen, pleasure as always to talk to you both. Have a very happy, uh, holy and peaceful Christmas. And thank you both for joining us on the programme this morning. And to you and too, Easter Patricia. to you too, Patricia. It's not Christmas yet. No. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, OK. Did I say Christmas? You did. Oh, sorry. Oh, happy Easter. <laughs> well, happy Christmas if I don't get to talk to you. <laughs> God bless. And to your listeners too. We will indeed. God bless. God Take bless. care. Bye-bye. Uh, Bye-bye. I'll tell you where my mind is at the moment. That is Bishop Paul Colton, Church of Ireland's Bishop of Cork, Cloyne and Ross and Roman Catholic Bishop of uh, Cloyne, uh, William Crean. And our thanks to both of them for joining us. 1850 333 103. 
Cork Today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Irish Hairdressers Federation, they've called on the government to allow hair salons to reopen for those who are fully vaccinated. To discuss this more, I'm joined from the Hotels Federation by Mark O'Keefe. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the programme. Are you looking at the over 70s here as the ones who would really benefit from if a decision like this was made? Yeah, like, first of all, I'd just like to say that we're absolutely delighted with the announcement that hair salons are going to open up in May. And really, what we're asking the government is that they'll consider salons to open up two weeks earlier for those that are fully vaccinated. So that would include uh, the elderly people over their 70s. It included the most vulnerable and, of course, the amazing people on the front line. And it would really take the rush off everybody heading in on the first day, wouldn't it, as well? Yeah, it's twofold, really. I mean, especially if you look at the elderly, uh, a lot of people in that bracket would be um, would be uh, cocooning for the last 12 months, even after the last two uh, reopenings. A lot of people didn't come out of their house because they were quite nervous. And now that they are vaccinated, it's an opportunity for them to get ahead of the curve and get into salons before the rush. And the other side of the coin is that the last two reopening salons and, and, and the salon owners and the staff have been were under huge pressure we're trying to accommodate clients. So it would allow us to turn the tap on a little bit slowly as well, a little bit slower than before. So there's two, there's two very, very positive sides to opening up two weeks earlier. Yeah, I mean, we heard if we had hairdressers, you know, doing 12 and 14 hour days mm. just to try and get in the first cut or colour or whatever it was uh, that people wanted. And Mark, having your hair done really gives people such a lift, doesn't it? And I'm thinking in particular of those people that you're talking about, the cocooners, people who, you know, have really lost a year of their lives. Absolutely. Well, it's been proven that um, you're you know, looking good uh, is very much connected with your well-being. There's a, you know, looking good and feeling good is very much connected. And that there's been a lot of talk about that over the last year. And you know, with the elderly and as well in particular, it's very hard for a lot of them to look after their own hair. So, you know, a lot of them even have trouble shampooing their own hair. And and as well as that, you know, coming into the salons is a very social experience. There's a relationship there with the hairdresser, and of course, they can reconnect with friends as well in the hair salons because they're a very very safe environment to be in. That's something else that we've proven over the last twelve months. Certainly, we've heard of a number of uh, hairdressing or hair uh, dressing work going on under the shadow e- economy. But would you suggest that the older customers are probably not the ones using the black economy? They're the ones desperately in need of getting their hairs done. I would, I would absolutely fully agree with that. I think, I think people who have been cocooning for the last twelve months would have more sense to bring somebody into their home. So I don't think they're availing of the black con- economy. Um, and I think you're right. I think they're really, really keen to get into the hair salons. Um, and, and obviously reconnect and get their hair and, and look good and feel good again. And it would be a very positive experience for them and for us as well because, you know, there's such a good feel factor for us as well to be able to make people feel good about themselves as well. So I think it's win-win. And a few weeks ago, actually, I spoke with a hairdresser from Limerick who was highlighting cancer patients and their individual needs. And they are also people who have started to get vaccinated, so they could be fully vaccinated as well. You know, there are others as well in that cohort, aren't they, who need their hairs done? Yeah, like there's many countries around the, around Europe that consider hairdressing to be a vital service. I would be one of those people that would call on that if there were to be more lockdowns, hopefully that there won't be but that I think hairdressing should be included in that bracket. And there are a lot of people who 
who need her, their hair done for not just, uh, you know, just not just to look good. There's a lot of reasons why people have their hair to have their hair done, and you know, hairdresser and Nimrod, you know, highlighted that recently, and it's it's very true, and that's why I think a lot of countries consider it to be a vital service. Mm, I would agree. All right, absolutely, and I can see a lot of our listeners are agreeing as well. And of course, a lot of questions in saying, could you ask Mark what date in May are hairdressers due to open? Have you been given a firm date? No, we uh, haven't been given a firm date. Obviously. We're all hoping it will be sooner rather than later, but no, we're st- I think it's in the, what the government said is they'll give us an indication towards the end of April when that date will be. And from our point of view, the sooner we get that date, the better, because we have to book people in, and the more notice we get, um, the more we can open up our lines, our phone lines, and, and start taking people's appointments. Because you can imagine, we're getting emails on a, you know, we're inundated with emails where people ask uh, people asking that question, and please get us in quickly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Knowledge is power. The sooner we know, the sooner we know, the better. Been a tough year, Mark. It has been a tough year for everybody, but please God, now there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, the sun is shining, and I think I think the energy and the positivity on the streets is a, is a lot better than it was earlier on this year. So. Onwards and upwards. Yeah, that's it. Done. That's it. Listen, have a great Easter and uh, thanks too. a million for joining us on the programme. Thank you for having us. Get, uh, on God bless. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Mark O'Keefe of the Irish Hairdressers Federation. A listener says hairdressers should open for the over 70s who've been fully vaccinated, but hairdressers would need to be vaccinated too before they would be allowed to open, says this texter to 0862 103 103. Let's take a break. We're head to the newsroom for news at 11. In the next hour, we're going to be chatting with Adam Harris of As I Am because today is World Autism Awareness Day. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. You're listening to Court Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Norma has been on to the programme and she's due to get her second jab and now she's a bit nervous after listening to me talking about Marsha spiking a high temperature after her vaccine and it was one of the reasons uh, I soul searched on if I would say why I was out this week and, and what had happened but I wanted to, uh, and I don't want it to put anybody off getting a vaccine. I don't have the exact stats on it but there are a lot of people will get the vaccine and will get absolutely no side effects and these are very slight side effects that you get over and you're fine and then for a portion of people you will get a reaction and it can last about a day or two normally and then you'll feel fine again and spiking a high temperature is common in a lot of people and all the doctors will tell you to do and they normally tell you when you get the vaccine is take some Panadol take some Nurofen whatever whatever you need to do to bring down your temperature Norma now is afraid she's going to get a high temperature it's very possible um, if you didn't get anything on your first jab you might be perfect again on your second uh, jab but she wants to know where she can get a reasonably good thermometer go into any chemical I think all chemists shops I think since the start of COVID I think we all made sure that we have a reasonably good thermometer in the house just to keep an eye on people's temperatures so just pop into a chemist and you will be able to get a thermometer and on the day you're going to get your second jab Norma just make sure you have some Panadol some Nurofen whatever it is just in case that you might spike uh, a temperature but honest to God you'll be fine and the benefits of getting the vaccine this is our way out of this pandemic we have uh, thankfully many fantastic vaccines 
vaccines that we've all taken down through uh, the years. We don't have polio anymore because of vaccination. We have little or no TB uh, because of vaccinations. We know the importance of vaccinations. So please don't be put off in any way. And we wish you luck with your second uh, jab. Now, a letter into the uh, programme. Please don't read out my name, which is fine. From a gentleman in East Cork is all I'll say. And we do have this gentleman's name address and we also have his telephone number in which we can contact him if we can find the items he is looking for. Dear Patricia, a friend told me you may be able to help. It's a long shot, but you might put it out there on your programme. I'm looking for two household items. Now, one is an egg stand that was used at the breakfast table when people used to have the station mass. It would hold six eggs and I'm assuming six boiled eggs, is it? The other is a measure called a gigger, G-I-G-G-E-R. It was used for spirits at weddings. When weddings were held at home, it was also used at wakes. They were used in the 1930s and the 1940s. I'm willing to pay for same. If any of your listeners would have either or both of these items, I would be able to point this gentleman in the direction of where he might be able to purchase it. Now does that I'm at a loss for both items I don't know, I can't even in my head imagine something that would sit on a table that would hold six eggs and as I say I'm assuming it's six boiled eggs and the other is some kind of a measure for spirits called a gigger Anybody know what that is? If you can help us out in any way, as I say, it's a gentleman in East Cork willing to purchase them if anybody knows where he can purchase them from or if you have them and you're willing to sell them on, let us know. You can give John Paul a call, 1850-333-103. Other thoughts coming in, Patricia? I feel we, the Irish people, have been let down badly by the Irish government over the past 15 months with their handling of the coronavirus. And to add insult to injury, to hear Ministers Coveney and Varadkar fighting to bring in more people from what I deem badly affected countries when it comes to COVID-19 and to allow them in without putting them into a quarantine hotel. And to hear Leo Varadkar saying that these people might be able to afford the cost of uh, a hotel and also if we look at adding too many countries, the Avarika reckons we mightn't have enough hotel space. I really question his judgment on this. Uh, what is the good in having a list if we don't put all of the countries onto it? I'm terrified that after Easter, what happened after Christmas will happen here. We have been, I feel, since this text are bullied all along, and it is now uh, time of that the double standards must stop if we either have quarantine hotels or we don't have quarantine hotels and we do know that quarantine hotels uh, work. John and Carrie Goliath says, Patricia, I can't get my head around the government not closing off licence. The demon drink has a lot to answer for. Even this government can't see through it. Close the off licence, close the sale of alcohol. We've been talking about this for months. The life for the guards would be so much easier if there wasn't any sale of alcohol. There would be, for example, no house parties. Wouldn't it be a gift? What a joke. The party goes on. That's from John in Carrigaline. On the quarantining list, if you really needed 
we really do need to put America onto the quarantine list, says this texture. We, if we don't, we will suffer the consequences in late summer. Numbers are extremely high in America at the moment. And the big problem that they have in the US of A is that a lot of citizens are refusing to get vaccinated. Uh, we can't afford to get this wrong. Please stay safe, says a uh, listener. And they do have, they absolutely do have an issue in the States in trying to persuade a bigger chunk of the population. Now, they're, they're, they're vaccinating millions of people, but there are a cohort of people who, for whatever reason, don't want to go ahead and be vaccinated. Actually, a friend of mine whose daughter lives, is married and living in Connecticut, they got everybody in the state of Connecticut, and every state is different, but in the state of Connecticut, they all got an email saying that they were going to have a 24-hour vaxathon. And it was it, it's happening from next Friday at 5pm until Saturday at 5pm. So for 24 hours, they have this big, I don't know, it's a sports stadium or whatever. It's it's open and everyone is invited in the area to come along and they're looking for community immunity is what they're looking for. And they're asking people, you know, they're saying the more people get vaccinated, the closer we are to doing the things we all love to do, spending time with family, celebrating birthdays and graduations and going to large public events. And they, the hashtag on it was shot of hope. And they were asking people and they're giving it out actually over the age of 16, just asking people to please register because it'll make it easy if they register. But they're simply asking people to turn up and they give the name of the, the venue where it's happening in Connecticut and saying to people at 24 hour vaxathon wouldn't we love if we got to the stage in this country that we had enough vaccines because I don't think we're go- we have the same problem in this country the majority of people know how important it is to get vaccinated and the majority of people I think would walk over glass at this stage if you were offered uh, a vaccine and the listener says I'm in the same position you are in when it comes to care of a special needs uh, person says this uh, listener with health issues uh, we're waiting we're like hermits um, good hope you have a happy Easter and listen many have um, happy Easter to you as well and hopefully you will get you and your loved one will get that call to get that vaccine sooner rather than later and believe me when you get the call I it, I compared it last week when we got the call to say Marcia was on the list to winning the lotto I've never won the lotto but I imagine that's the sense of relief and feeling that I would have John says this is on um, Germany not being put on the quarantine uh, list John says Patricia I have neighbours who've returned again from Germany just last Saturday saw them shopping on Sunday morning out in the local shops this is the reality we've nobody enforcing the laws and we're told that people if they're not going into the quarantine hotels they're meant to be quarantining at home they're not meant to be popping out to to the shops and as I always say to people when you know somebody has returned particularly from a country that you know has a lot of uh, COVID-19 cases then absolutely give them a wide berth. 1850 Now this is a follow-on to a query that we got in earlier in the week. The query was, I'm just wondering, did any of your other listeners get forms from Cork County Council about rent assessments? I thought all rent increases weren't going ahead until July of this year. It states if the forms are not back by mid-April, we could be fined. But the problem is, how can we get the forms filled in when a lot of businesses are closed and employers aren't available to fill in the forms? So we got on to the council to say what's going on. Some of our listeners have forms and they're having difficulty getting them filled in. And they've come back to us and they say... 
Local authority tenants pay rent on their properties. It's under what's called the deferential rate scheme and they are required as part of that process to provide details of their income to the council. Cork County Council's rent division issued rent assessment forms to tenants in the past week. It is acknowledged that in certain circumstances some tenants may have difficulty contacting head office or contacting employers regarding completion of income certs. But in such cases, Cork County Council are willing to accept payslips as documentary evidence of income. Furthermore, where tenants continue to get paid by their employers, but under terms of the temporary wage subsidies scheme, Cork County Council will also accept payslips as documentary evidence. Tenants who are in receipt of the PUP payment directly from the Department of Social Protection can provide post office slips or bank statements as proof of income. Tenants have been advised that their rent will not increase as a result of a PUP payment but Cork County Council still requires them to complete and to return the rent assessment forms. If tenants have any queries about completing the rent assessment forms they should then please contact Cork County Council's rent assessment unit. Details of which are included in the correspondence that was sent out to all tenants and it should also be noticed that the new rents will not be applied on July of 2021. So to the listener worried uh, about a rent increase happening and said, I thought a rent increase wasn't going to happen until J- July. The council are confirming that if the rent is to go up because your income has gone up, then that won't happen until July. C103 Jobs. A van sales business developer is required for a busy cork bakery slash confectioner. While Alan Weld in Newmarket, they're looking for a welder slash fabricator. Experienced childminder is wanted. It's to look after two toddlers Mondays and Tuesdays, and that's in the Fremont area. And the Bon Secure Hospital in Cork, they're recruiting staff uh, nurses. They're also looking for a clinical nurse manager. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. cmig.ie. Now, in 2007, the United Nations declared that April the 2nd of each year would be marked as World Autism Awareness Day. And today also marks the start of Autism Awareness Month here in Ireland. To chat about an autism acceptance campaign, I'm joined by Adam Harris, who is CEO of As I Am. Good morning to you, Adam. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me. Well, you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now, for people and families living with autism, why is an awareness day like this so important? I think it's absolutely vital, and I think it's never been as important as the year that's in it. Um, Listeners will be aware of the very difficult uh, number of days the autism community has had in light of the RT Investigates report. But also, more broadly, COVID-19 has really posed an awful lot of challenges to, to autistic people. We've seen the loss of routine and structure and predictability. And at the same time, what we've seen is the loss of many vital support services, whether it was school closures or the diversion of health support. So for many autistic people, the last year has been a very stressful time. And many of our families have been incredibly isolated. When you're an autistic person, you see the world in a very different way to most people. And this can make day-to-day experiences like going to the shop or getting a bus extremely overwhelming. Those of us who are autistic adapt all of the time uh, to try and manage that. But whether other people meet us halfway, whether people are not just aware, but actually go out of their way to be a little bit more understanding and acceptance, 
that's the difference between somebody who's included in the community or who unfortunately is left out. Well said, well said. And does does society have a better awareness of autism, say from when you were a young child? There's no question that we've become more aware. You know, when I was a young child, if mum used a word like autism, you know, to friends or neighbours, a lot of people would have looked blankly. They really hadn't heard of it. We've gone from that point to the point that I'd imagine most of your listeners probably have somebody in their extended family or friend group who's on the autism spectrum. Or if not, they probably know a character on TV or a well-known personality who has a diagnosis. So we have gone that journey. I think the problem is, you know that phrase in Ireland, the little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Yeah. So awareness is great, but sometimes how I explain it to people is, I'm aware that Mandarin is a language, but I don't understand it. So I'm not much used to anybody who only speaks that language. And in the same way, we've moved autistic people into our into the community. 86% of autistic people now attend mainstream school. But we haven't given the communities really the, the knowledge they need to meaningfully include people particularly beyond the school gate. So if you look at it, you know, 85% of autistic people are unemployed or underemployed. Autistic people are four times more likely to experience loneliness. And eight in 10 autistic people would experience a mental health condition. That's dark and it's depressing, but why I think it's important is it's not inevitable. You know, to get your diagnosis, you don't need to be lonely or unemployed or, or feeling low. It comes from how society responds to autistic people. That's what we need to change. And when you mention 86% of children with autism will go into mainstream and I was reading only in the paper today that children with autism often have to travel long distances to a school that provide them with an appropriate education. I mean, some schools and some areas are lacking when it comes to Um, classes. In particular, I want to note that in Cork at the moment, there's particular pressures in this regard. I know there's a group of parents presently who are having to consider legal action uh, if they aren't able to secure suitable secondary school places for their children in September. I mean, that's just unacceptable. And I think if we just think about it, nobody, no child, no other child ever has to worry, where will I go to school? Uh, who will I make friends with? Will I get the support that I need? This is the thing for autistic people. Um, really, from the time we're born, we're used to being told no. This world autism, what we're asking people to do is say yes. And they can say yes in a variety of ways. We've brought out a booklet with SuperValiant. It's available free in every store in the country. And it gives some practical advice to the little things people could do to make life just easier for those of us on the spectrum. And it's small stuff. Like, I think if you're listening to this, you might go, well, I'm not a psychologist or I'm not a teacher. But it's about being clear when you're speaking to somebody. It's about making sure the environment is just a little bit calmer and more structured. It's about if you know somebody's a bit isolated in your community, going out of your way to reach out to them. So we're asking people to pick up that booklet and just maybe make one commitment to be consciously more autism-friendly. And there's a lovely colouring competition there as well. So it's a nice way of having the conversation with your child because I think if we start and normalise these things from a young age, I think that can go a long way towards making a more inclusive society. And I know you mentioned your campaign is in association with uh, SuperValue and I hate singling out just one supermarket, but SuperValue nationwide have been particularly good, haven't they? I mean, a lot of their stores do the autism-friendly shopping hour, for example. They were the first store in the country to implement that. And then as well as that, we worked together in the town of Clonakilty and we supported them becoming Ireland's first autism-friendly town. And we're now working with eight other communities to bring them to that level. Brilliant. Um, and as well as that, they've really supported our work. Uh, you know, over the last year, demand for our support has risen by 280% because of COVID-19. Um, and yet only 10% of our funding comes to the government. Um, so what they're supporting us with this April is with this campaign, but also with ads on the radio, with pieces like this, because we really need to do an awful lot more to support autistic people now. 
But at the end of COVID-19 as well, it can be very hard for people to reconnect with their community, to get back into routine. And we want to play a big part in that. So we're asking people if they can to make a donation at asiam.ie forward slash donate or to text asiam to 50300 to donate for euro. And how busy have you been during the pandemic? It's been incredibly busy. You know, I think that the thing about autism friendly is changing all of the time. So it's not that we can just talk about autism in isolation. It's actually, whenever anything happens in society, we need to be thinking, how does this affect people who are autistic? So, you know, everything from the travel limits, for example, for some autistic people, routine is really important. So a person might just need to be able to travel outside of their 5K to go to a particular beach. And that might be the difference between an autistic person being really stressed and all day or a family having a, having a pleasant day and being able to manage at the moment. We've obviously seen when the school period, when they were closed, that passed, put massive stress and pressure on families. And then we're receiving a lot of correspondence from autistic adults who are just very isolated. So it's been extremely busy. What we've tried to do is double down our support. So we're running a lot of online support events for families. We've been doing a lot of casework and advising and supporting families. And critically trying to educate the public and the government about the small changes they can make at this time to continue to be inclusive. And when the schools closed, as you know, as you've mentioned, children with autism were po- possibly the group that suffered at the most. Adam, do you feel many of those children will take years to make up for those last months? I think this is an important point. You know, I think we know what the challenges that that presented in the short term, the closure of schools, also the diversion of speech and language and OTs and people like that, the COVID effort. We know in the short term that puts massive pressure on families. We know that 61% of children lost key skills like communication or the ability to, to, to engage in personal care. But I think we actually don't know the long-term impact. Um, there's definitely going to be some challenges, I think. People are going to need a lot of support um, to get back to the place they were in 2019 but, and at the start of 2020. But I also think as well there is opportunity. Um, I'm always a as somebody who looks for the silver lining. And I think, you know, there was a lot of ways, a lot of things about how the community worked, how school worked, how employment worked before the pandemic that weren't fair, that weren't great. And we just did them because that's the way we've always done things. So I'm hoping as we come out of the, the lockdown that we can start to think about the, outside the box a bit more about how can we help autistic people. You know, just two examples of that. Some people have been receiving their therapy online as opposed to having to go and wait in a busy waiting room it's been a much less stressful experience. Can we keep that? Some autistic people are who are absolutely able to work a full-time job but aren't working full-time because the office is actually just so exhausting, all the people, the noises. Remote working has made a huge difference. So some of these things, can we keep them to try and make sure that when we come back, we don't just come back to where we were two years ago, but that actually we create a society where everybody's included and everybody's valued. Well done, well done. And you you mentioned during the course of our chat at the start the RT Investigates uh, programme that I think I certainly sat down and watched it and I was just utterly gobsmacked. Uh, Were you shocked, Adam, by by what was revealed on that programme? I think what the language a lot of people in that community have been using is, you know, it wasn't so much shock as sickened. Uh, A lot of families over a number of years have just found their engagement with government services to be so adversarial. It doesn't seem like you're on the same team. People are actively working against you and pushing back instead of working with you. And I'm not talking about people on the front lines here. I'm talking about the system and uh, uh, that, that, that props it up. So, I mean, in this, in a sense, we were really sickened, but it confirmed a lot of fears that families would have had. I think what's important is that we get the facts now because trust has been deeply damaged. We hosted a webinar for 200 families come and ask questions of a solicitor the other night 
And people are asking very fundamental questions like, who can I trust? Uh, the people I depend so much on for services, can I still trust them? So I think it's important we restore trust. Um, you know, I think it's important that we recognise that this isn't every case, this isn't every child. We need to establish the facts, and that's why publishing the legal opinion is really important, but also the HSC being transparent, contacting families who've been affected. I know that an independent liaison officer was appointed yesterday. I think that's important. But ultimately, from my point of view, this is nothing to do with the law. It's about to do with culture. You know, there's plenty of things that are legal that are still wrong and still immoral. So what I think we need to see is a culture reset in terms of how the HSC and how the government interacts uh, with vulnerable families when they are at their most vulnerable. As part of that, I think there's a need for an independent statutory investigation that mm-hmm. goes beyond data protection and really looks at how did this happen and how can we make sure it never happens again. Well, I also think when you mention some of the families here in Cork who are going to have to go down the legal route just to get their child to school pre- place, some of them are going to be nervous about even doing that. Yes, indeed. And I mean, the reality is, I think, you know, we've heard a lot in recent days about how the civil service, you know, has an obligation to protect the taxpayer in litigation. The two things I'd say about that, I don't think it's a good use of taxpayers' money to be dragging families through the courts of fundamental rights. But also what I think we need to see is a total change in approach on this issue because I think first and foremost, the state should not be contesting legal challenges where it knows it's wrong or it knows it's failing in its duties. In other areas of law, mediation is a requirement, including family law. Why should it not be the same for the state? You know, things will never be perfect, but when there's problems, why should everyone not have to sit around the table and actually come to an agreed solution as opposed to the only people who are winning in the current approach as solicitors and barristers? I don't think any of us want that. Okay, you're doing fantastic work as As I Am. Just once again, remind us how people can do, uh, donate to the work of As I Am. They can go to asiam.ie forward slash donate or they can text As I Am to 50300. That's As I Am to 50300 to donate four euro. And they can get our booklet in Super Valley stores across Cork. Okay, listen, thank you for that, um, Adam. And thanks for joining us on the programme today. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is Adam Harris, CEO of As I Am. A listener wants to know, are banks open because today is a Good Friday? I'm sure all banks are closed. They normally uh, are. Uh, And just actually while I'm mentioning banks, the credit union for, or not the credit union, the post office for people needing to head to the post office. Post offices are closing at one o'clock today and post offices will remain closed tomorrow, Saturday and obviously Monday is the bank holiday that they'll be closed as well. So if you need to get to the post office it's uh, with the time just gone half past 11 they're closing at 1 o'clock today 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie and following our chat with Adam Harris from As I Am Neil Ruddy the CEO of My Canine Companion has sent in a text saying, hi Patricia, great to hear Adam Harris talking to you on the programme this morning. Could you please remind listeners that My Canine Companion, which is for autism and therapy services, are reopening their list for service dogs for children with autism and they're reopening their list on the 7th of April. Now, unfortunately, due to demand, the list will open and close on the same date. Any family wishing to be added to the list can get details from their website, which is My Canine Companion. 
ie. But the 7th of April is the date that you put forward your child's name to be added to the list. But as I say, mark it on a diary somewhere because it is the only day that they're accepting it'll be opened and closed on the same day because demand will be huge. My caninecompanion.ie. Thank you uh, to Nile for that uh, text. Now, a Cork family have started a fundraiser to help care for a much loved son and brother who suffered a life changing brain injury last year. To tell us more about the campaign uh, to help Ryan Murphy from East Cork, I'm joined by his sister-in-law, Saoirse Rogers. Good morning to you, Saoirse. Morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. I suppose I need you to take me back to this 27th of October last year and a heartbreaking phone call that your family received. Talk me through what happened. Yeah, so uh, on the 27th of October, um, Ryan's family received heartbreaking news that he had had an accident which resulted in a traumatic brain injury and Ryan uh, was left in a coma for three weeks after this. He needed multiple surgeries and he contracted infections and he also contracted COVID on Christmas. So there was a lot of setbacks there but uh, in true Ryan Murphy spirit like he kept he kept chucking on um, I suppose the, the GoFundMe appeal is to raise money for Ryan to come home and to come home to a, a comfortable environment where he's he's safe and he can have some sort of independence down the line. Talk to me a little bit about Ryan, what Ryan was like before this catastrophic incident. Um, Ryan's a very active man. He loves to go walking. He used to go on long walks. Um, he loved fishing. Um, he's just big, tall, friendly guy. Um, actually known as the BFG, the big friendly giant. Oh. Um, he he just had a heart of gold. He was always the first person to help anybody out. He was very talented with his hands. He's he's built sheds from scratch for his mother and father. Just really active, fun, loving guy. Twenty eight, isn't it? 28. 28. 28. Just turned 28 in March, just gone. Oh, and I take it, Saoirse, because of COVID, were the family limited with visits to the hospital? Yeah, that that was one of the most, obviously the news was heartbreaking, but that was very tough to swallow, that he, his family couldn't be with him. and Everybody needs their family around them at, it, at a time like that. His mother and father got to see him a handful of times, but that was it. There was the main contact was through Skype calls. So, you know, looking at Ryan in, in the hospital bed on his own for months and weeks on end, um, it was very tough, you know. I'm, like, I'm sure his mother and father just wanted to dive through the phone and wrap their oh. around him. Like. No family should be asked to go through through that for sure. And he has, um, he, he wasn't expected to live. I mean, that really was the news the family were told at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's been a miracle of sorts. Um, like when Ryan's mother first got the phone call, you know they they were told unfortunately not to have much hope. Like the injury was catastrophic. Um, but as they said, being true to himself, he he got through it, and he got through every setback that was thrown at him as well. And um, he was doing in in his circumstances reasonably well up until he contracted COVID and unfortunately that really really set him back again it just weakened him 
he wasn't getting the therapies that he was supposed to be getting, obviously, because he was in a COVID ward for two weeks. And like that, with an injury like that, that is just a big chunk of Ma- Yeah, it's a major setback. Of what that was taken away from him, yeah. Now, in the last number of weeks, he has gone to the National Rehabilitation Hospital, who are the most amazing bunch of people. Yeah, they're they're just tremendously talented. Like he's he has been coming on since he went there. He's been there for over three weeks now, and he's he's doing better. Like the facilities up there are, you know, top of the range. Uh, he's getting everything that he needs right now up there. Um, uh, he's learning how to speak again, how to use his arms again. At the moment, he's he's learning turkey words. Um, that's where he'll start from. Like, did he completely lose all speech? Uh, he did. Yeah, he did. God, for a twenty-eight-year-old man, it's just yeah, dev- it's just devastating. It's all destroying. Um, and then physically, is he has he any mobility? Um, very little. Um. Unfortunately, it may be that Ryan will not walk on his own again, ever again. He, he'll need assistance or he, he will need a very specialised wheelchair and hoist when he gets home. And um, He is really, really trying uh, with mobility in his arms at the moment. And he, he is getting there to some extent uh, with his arms, but uh, he has a long road ahead of him and he just needs to come home and comfortably now and have all the essentials to try and get him where he may possibly get to. And I'm assuming we're talking feeding tubes and everything, are we? Uh, he is not on a feeding tube at present, but he Great. Was, his, his food is modified, so um, anything he can eat is, you know, it's liquefied. Yeah, but at least he's not in a feeding tube. That's a step yeah, forward. Yeah, huge step. And his his mother wants him home, and she's she wants to look after him. I mean, that's the main message, isn't it? That's the main message. Yeah, uh, there was suggest uh, suggestions of him going into uh, a care home uh, because at present, like Ryan, he's a big, he's a very tall lad. He needs three carers at the moment around the clock. But like, it's just it's not an option for his mother or, or for anybody else to put him into a home like he's 28 years of age. He's too young. He's too young. He's life ahead of him. He needs to come home and he deserves to come home. So the fundraiser has started. I know uh, on day in, on day one, 30,000 was raised. I mean, people are amazing, aren't they? Absolutely amazing. I, I mean, it's been a challenging year for everybody and to know that people would still put their hands in their pockets when they read a story like that, it's just, it's really heartwarming and the family is eternally grateful for everybody who has donated so far and for everybody who will. And if, and please God, when the house is ready and hoists and everything else that, you know, his mother is going to need in order order to care for Ryan, has the National Rehabilitation Board given you any sort of an idea on when they would expect that Ryan would be at that stage to be able to go home? Do you know how long do you have? There is a provisional date at the moment. Uh, it's mid July. I think the 18th of July. They're hoping to have him home. So that's um, well, we'd be hoping to have him home comfortably um, and have all the necessary things that we need in place for Ryan by then. That's not too far away. No, it's really not. It's only around the corner now. So 
you know, we need massive push and we appreciate every penny that people have contributed so far. And Saoirse, how is Ryan himself mood-wise? How is he coping with all of this? Um, of course, you know, he has moments of, you know, very sad times and he's often asked, can he just come home? Um, but we think he understands that he's in the right place and we think he understands that he has a long road ahead of him. Um, I, for one, couldn't do what he's done. I think he's incredibly strong and I have every confidence in him. But it is, of course, very sad and very lonely for him at the moment, I'd imagine. And again, nobody can go visit? So, um, no visits. His, there was one visit in the National Rehabilitation um, Hospital on Tuesday. So that was like three or two of his siblings and his mother. His other siblings will see him for the first time in six months today. Oh. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah. That's they've been able to do so far understandably yeah. so everyone understands but, yeah. so but you know happened. something Saoirse he's in the right place because the, the National Rehabilitation Hospital I mean what they ha- can have done for people in, in the past is just incredible they are oh, the experts yeah absolutely okay how can people donate uh, so the GoFundMe is set up at the moment it's, um, it was set up by his brother Jason so you can donate through that. It's been shared by much of the media and the public, so it won't be too hard to find. Okay, I take it where I take it, John Paul. We're putting it up on our on our social media um, as well. Listen, uh, Searsha, we wish you and the family um, nothing but the best of luck with the fundraiser, and hope you get everything that that you need. But more than anything, we're thinking about send on our best wishes to Ryan and to say that you know everybody's thinking about him and, and wishing him well, and we really hope that everything works out uh, for him as well. Perfect. Thanks a million for having me. Thanks, Saoirse. Mind yourself. God bless. Bye-bye. Saoirse Rogers there, uh, sister-in-law to Ryan Murphy, who had that uh, catastrophic brain uh, incident last October. My goodness, you wouldn't wish it on anyone, would you? And and I've seen uh, John Paul was showing me a photograph before we came on air uh, today. I mean, you can see a great big gentle giant, fine, strapping young 28-year-old. And then to see him lying in a hospital bed, you know, wired up to machines, it's just awful. Very, very difficult on the family. So we will think of and remember uh, Ryan Murphy in our thoughts and prayers and hope that everything works out okay for him and for his family. A couple of people have come forward with suggestions of help for the gentleman from Killa who's written to the programme. He is looking for two household items. One is what he describes as an egg stand. He remembers it being used at the breakfast table at the station mass. It held six eggs. And the other was a measure called a, a, a gigger. He said used for spirits at weddings at home are at at Wakes. Now firstly on the plate somebody saying Patricia could that gentleman in East Cork be talking about a cedar plate which is used for Passovers for the Passover is that what he could be talking about so I did a quick Google search on a cedar plate and, and it could be it actually could be a cedar plate is it's placed on the table for the Passover and it has six different items of food. So I think in my head now what I'm thinking about what the, and it's something that I vague recollections of seeing sort of in a, in a, in a grandmother's house there's a kind of a round, it's a round plate because he said it would hold six eggs and it would like have six dips where an egg would sit perfectly. 
Do you know a plate like that? Circular plate, and if you can imagine six hollowed out sections, because that's certainly what a, a Passover cedar plate looks like, and it would work for the eggs. I don't think it's exactly what he is thinking of, but definitely you're on the right track with that. Thank you for that. And then on the jigger that I didn't know, he's written it down as G I G G E R, but somebody uh, sent me a Heidi. Thank you, Heidi. Has sent on a on like it's jigger. It's G I G G E R, and they're widely available online. And it's basically you know the spirit measure. I have one at home somewhere. I have a stainless steel one, and then I got a cocktail kit that had a gorgeous brass one in it as well. So I think the jigger. I think the gentleman is just spelling it wrong, and maybe that's why he's having difficulty getting it. Certainly, you could go online and get a, a jigger. There, what there will be widely uh, available. A hardware store might you might get one in a hardware store as well, or even if you popped into an off license. You know the way some off licenses sell glasses and stuff and cocktail making equipment because cocktails have become quite trendy that they might have uh, it's, well it's a jigger it's J-I-G-G-E-R so I would suggest going there and if you Google the cedar plate for Passover you might find one that's exactly what you are looking for and thank you for people for passing trying to pass on a little bit of help to our gentleman in East uh, Cork and then a West Cork listener says Hi Patricia they say one swallow never made a summer but I saw two swallows yesterday. That's the earliest I've ever seen them, said a West Cork uh, listener. And there was definitely a feel of sort of early summer about yesterday if you got to sit out in the sunshine. And I'm what I'm currently looking out at is gorgeous clear blue skies. I hope you're looking out at something similar. And the forecast for today is quite good and quite good for tomorrow. So, but make hay while the sun shines because it's going to all go pear-shaped as we head across the weekend. Anybody else spotted Swallows? West Cork listener saw two yesterday and reckoned two yesterday on the 1st of April is the earliest that this listener has ever seen Swallows. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business Farm Life and Health Insurance, CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Our listener in West Cork who spotted two swallows yesterday and reckoned it was the earliest they'd ever seen swallows before and did say, they say one swallow, never made a summer. Well, a couple of people have been on. Ross says a swallow was in Skull a few days ago. And someone else says, we had three swallows flying around Farnavan in Bandham since Tuesday the 30th of March. Also agree with your other listener, never seen them so early. Happy Easter to all and many happy returns. Maybe that's a sign that we're going to get a great summer this year. Wouldn't it be terrific? Hi Patricia, There's, there is a census every five years. We are due to have a census this year. It looks like it's not happening this year and I can tell you it's not happening. We actually mentioned this in, I think it was September of last year. A decision was taken on the advice of the Central Statistics Office and back in, it was actually the 15th of September, I'm just spotting on the screen in front of me. Uh, The government decided to, to postpone the 2021 census to April of 2022. We were due to have a census on the 18th of this month because the listener is right, it is every five years. So it was due to be held on the 18th of April 2021. But it has now been postponed and actually it'll be this weekend next year because it's down for the 3rd of April 2022. 
too. And they say the decision wasn't taken lightly, but it was based on a number of factors. Further, most obviously in the decision making was the need to ensure the safety of the general public and the Central Statistics Office field staff, coupled with the need to deliver a census that achieves the highest possible response rate across all facets of Irish society. And we know from the past, from previous census, we know the way it's done. There, It's the field staff go out, they hand deliver the forms and then they come back and they collect the forms for you. I know a couple of weeks ago, because I saw friends and family members of mine in the UK, they went ahead with their census, but it seemed to be online. And I was wondering when I saw it, will we ever get to that stage where you could complete the form online? We do the old fashioned paper where the census form is handed into every household. I mean, I suppose the difficulty with doing it online and of course, they, if they were doing it online, it would be much safer. And obviously we would be having a census if we were able to do it online. But the problem straight away is not every household is online. And also we've got areas where poor, poor broadband, etc. So I don't know if we're ever going to get to the stage where it would be completely online. But maybe we'll end up with a hybrid where you can opt to fill in your census online or fill in, fill in the old fashioned paper, the one that we use at the moment but the listener is right, the census for this year postponed, it goes ahead on the 3rd of April 2022 so no doubt this day next year we'll be doing interviews reminding people to make sure that they fill in their census form tomorrow because it's usually a Saturday night isn't it, that they get us to fill the form uh, in. 1850 A couple of other texts in. Oh the, the Jiggers, the listener in East Cork who's looking for the two items, one was the plate for the eggs and the other was the jigger used. It's a spirit, basically it's a spirit measure. I just never heard it called. I didn't know. You learn something new every day. I now know that my spirit measure is called a jigger. And somebody says, yes, Patricia, off licences do uh, sell them. So if the listener wants to go there, he will be able to, to uh, get one. OK, also coming into a Killarney listener says, Patricia, anytime I message, in fairness, you always do your best to call out my text. And there are times when I was desperate because there was no light at the end, end of the tunnel with the vaccine rollout. But finally, 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 as a medically vulnerable person, I'm now scheduled for my vaccination next uh, Tuesday. And this, I have to say, is thanks to the public health the public hospital that I attend, I honestly cannot thank them enough for getting me out of this. What is a very, very concerning nightmare. Well done to the good old public hospital system, says a Killarney listener who gets uh, gets there. I don't know if it's a male or a female, but gets their vaccine next uh, Tuesday. Good luck with that. Actually, staying on the good old public hospital system. I had an email in. It came earlier in the week. My apologies. I'm only getting around to it now from a listener who would prefer to remain anonymous, which is fine. But says, Dear Patricia, I'm compelled to let you and your listeners know about an experience I had in an accident and an emergency department last week in a Cork hospital. I fractured my ankle a few weeks ago and it seemed to be healing fine. However, I was worried about developing a possible clot, a DVT, etc. last week because of symptoms I'd started to experience. I was advised to go to an A&E in one of the Cork hospitals, which I did. I arrived in A&E at 5.30 in the afternoon to find it extremely busy. I had an initial assessment and at about 7, at about 7 p.m. I totally understand with the COVID situation that every service is very stretched and a wait is to be expected. However, 
I was not seen by a doctor until 4am in the morning, so nearly 12 hours later sitting in A&E. I had to return to have a follow-up assessment the next day and spent a further four to five hours in A&E. The staff, by the way, excellent, caring and extremely kind. I have followed all of the COVID guidelines and have not seen my family or friends, not been in contact with other people for months. In A&E, though, I spent a total of between 14 and 15 hours in what I would deem a high-risk COVID environment. As A&E was so crowded, it was difficult, if not impossible, to maintain the two-metre social distance from others. Now, there are perspex screens between the chairs in the waiting room. However, sitting on uncomfortable chairs for up to 15 hours means that you have to get up and move around. And also bearing in mind that this listener was afraid that they were developing a a clot. So the one thing you do with the clot is you keep moving. So she was obviously very conscious of that as well. It has got to be, this overcrowding at the A&E has got to be contributing to the spread of COVID-19. My point, Patricia, is that there should be some way for the public, potential patients, seeing the number of people waiting in an A&E in the hospital in Cork. It may be that one hospital has fewer patients waiting and another is completely full. This way, people would be able to make informed decisions about where to seek treatment or advice. I think if we could have a login on a relevant hospital website, or ideally an app that we could download onto our phones, we could help spread the burden on the medical staff and at the same time help to reduce the transmission risk of COVID. I wonder if this will be possible. Ideally, if any of your listeners agree or have any other thoughts or suggestions, we may be able to collectively find a positive solution. Because often you can go on, thank you for that, and and I hope you're feeling much better and that you're all okay and that the fracture on your ankle is improving and that thankfully and hopefully you didn't have a clot and that that you're all okay and good health uh, to you. But you can log on to most websites of business premises and you'll be able to see if it's busy or not. I don't know if it's always in retail time or not, but you'll always get an idea if it's going to be busy or not. I wonder, would it be possible to have an actual live app that would tell you just how busy the hospital is and give you kind of an expected wait time if you if you had decided that you know the choice but you needed to go to A and E. But yeah, but it does sound like a, it's a tough, tough environment when it gets very busy. And I think because of COVID-19, we're all so careful at the moment and being careful not to be near anyone and doing your best to keep apart from people but if you're in a situation like that where you've no choice where it's very very crowded and I know I'm always saying to people if they go into a shop and that they find it's very crowded I'm always saying to people you know leave and go somewhere else but obviously if it's an A&E situation and you're in there to get help you don't have a lot of uh, choice 1850 do you think this listener is right some kind of an app that every hospital would have some kind of an app and it would tell you just how busy the A&E department uh, is. On Germany and Germany could Germany possibly become one of the countries that would be added to the state's hotel quarantine list? It looks like Minister Stephen Donnelly certainly thinks that France, Germany and Italy are three of the 43 countries that they want to put onto the quarantine list. So anybody coming from those countries would have to check in to the quarantine hotel. You'd have to stay there for at least uh, 12 days and of course it comes at a cost it's about uh, 2,000 euro but it seems our own Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney, he's insisting the passengers from the US or other EU countries should not be required to pay for hotel quarantining on arrival in uh, Ireland. Uh, He's already been on to the 
Attorney General who also seems to be agreeing with him and says that there seems to be some legal concerns with charging EU citizens for hotel quarantine. But again, as I mentioned when I spoke about this earlier, Austria is a member of the EU and Austria are already on the list. But for some reason, the government seemed very slow to add France, Germany and Italy. Well, a listener says, my son lives in Germany and it isn't all that bad there. He would love to come home, but this country wants his money to pay for a hotel. Why? He will be coming home to me. People must remember that Germany is one of the EU countries that actually has the president of uh, Europe as one of their uh, country people. Yeah, uh, you just, I, I know you're saying your son lives in Germany and he says it's not all bad there. We actually had one of our, one of our listeners in Germany contact us earlier who said it is very bad over here and you really do need to be careful about allowing people from Germany to come into, to come into Ireland without quarantining. So when I saw that text come in, I just did a quick look on the internet to see how is Germany doing at the moment and they have massive spike in cases. I can tell you for yesterday, there are new cases yesterday in Germany, 22,679. Uh, I mean, the day before, 23,681. There are new cases in one day and it really does look like they are having, they had an initial first wave and then for throughout May of last year through to August, right up to October, they were doing very well. Then they got their second wave which started around October and went all the way along really high cases right into November uh, into December into then this dropped a little bit in January and then yeah they were really down in January their cases well they cases like 4,000 cases a day at the start of February and now as they have headed into March the figures literally I'm going on a day by day going up and up and up and up and they've gone up every day uh, last week so I can understand why in January Germany. They are already this was only from yesterday there are states in Germany that are calling for a complete lockdown uh, because they feel they're right in the middle of a third wave and it is a really really bad third wave. Now it could just be listener that where your son is living in Germany that they don't have as many cases but certainly there are areas of Germany where it is scary the amount of uh, COVID-19 so tell your son to be very careful of himself in Germany but also be very careful if he does make the decision to travel at the moment Germany is not on the list but we do know that Minister Stephen Donnelly is adamant that more countries need to be added uh, to, to the list particularly where there's a real and a present threat from new variants and the one thing I don't know in detail what type of variants are the highest in Germany but what we don't want is an increase in the variants from Brazil are the South African. We've had a small number in this country, but at the moment it's the B117, the English uh, strain, the Kent strain it, that is the one that's, I think it's 90% of the cases here in this country. And we're battling that and suppressing that. We just don't need a new variant coming in behind that, which will again swamp this country. And we will be back to where we were in, in January. So just, you need to be so, so uh, careful. 1853. 33103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme, here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID 19 pandemic. See corkcoco.ie. 
June and Tony Connolly are fundraising for My Canine Companion, a charity we mentioned just earlier today. It's a charity that provides therapy dog services and autism awareness programmes. They also hope to help their 11-year-old son, James, who's non-verbal and will greatly benefit from these services. They plan to virtually walk from Mizzenhead to Malinhead and they're asking for your support by donating to their campaign. You can see all their details on their social media sites. That's My Canine Companion. And Mary Mount's Rebel Way Challenge, that's uh, taking, ask, taking on a 100-kilometre virtual trail from Glengariff to the wilds of Jersey Island, all from your local 5K limit. Participants can log their daily kilometres but can virtually track their route along the beautiful landmarks and coastline of the Bear Away. You also can raise funds for Marymount by setting up a fundraising page and recording your walks using the hashtag Marymount Rebel Way. You can check out more details on their website marymount.ie Cork today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG some of your comments coming in. Hi, Patricia. On the idea of an A&E app to show just how busy the department is in the particular hospital that you want to attend, I think it's a fantastic idea. But we also need to keep asking people not to go to the accident and emergency department unless it's absolutely necessary and you feel you might need to be hospitalised. I wonder how many people still use it as a visit to the doctor. Happy Easter to everyone. That's from Denise. Oh, God, I would hate to think that people rather than go to a doctor would go to an A&E. Who would do that and put yourself through sitting in a hard seat for for 10 hours but yeah I suppose anecdotally there's always evidence that people do decide to do that and remember this time last year when we went into the very first lockdown when we really didn't know a lot about COVID and and everybody was abiding by the strict rules and regulations thinking it would only be for a couple of weeks there was a marked decrease in people going anywhere near an A and and E department and anecdotally people started saying has that got to do with the fact that so many people use the A and E as Denise said rather than go visit a doctor they think I'll go to the A and E instead and it might speed up treatment or or whatever so but yeah but there's somebody very much in favour if someone could come up with an app that would show you just how busy the A&E department actually is. Now, some comments that will be coming in throughout the week that we didn't get around to. This was something from me yesterday. When John Paul was on for me yesterday, he was talking about the intimidation by motorists and I was chatting to John Paul and he said they had a massive reaction to it. This is kind of very... People driving aggressively and then intimidating other motorists. Well, an email in in on this uh, to say I was driving 98 kilometres in a 100 kilometre zone. So just almost at the exact speed limit. It was a wide road and a bus came right up behind me, started flashing and hooting his horns at me to move over. By the way, I never did. I don't have to as the hard shoulder isn't there for that purpose. But all the bus driver wanted was for me to either go faster and therefore risk penalty points or to push in so that he could overtake me. Driving is becoming a nightmare. You're expected, albeit mistakenly, to drive like some of the lunatics on our roads. But thankfully, not all are like that. And that comes in from a Kerry listener. Thank you for that. And I Actually, somebody earlier um, sent me in a message from, and it was from Kerry, I'm sure, um, and it was showing the number of 
I'm sure it was speeding offences, of course, trying to find it. Here it is. Uh, over 14,600 drivers with penalty points in Kerry alone. Now, I haven't, I'm on air, so I haven't time to, to click in and, and read uh, the link. But I'm assuming these are figures that have been released by the Road Safety uh, Authority. But I am assuming that a lot of those with the penalty points is to do with st- speeding, but 14,500 drivers with penalty points. That's just in the Kerry area. I'm sure if we get on to the Road Safety Authority, they'd be able to tell us how many people have been caught speeding here in the Cork area. But yeah, you will get, as a warning to you, you will get caught. But that person is right. You know, don't be intimidated and don't. Now, there's a difference between driving too slowly and that frustrates uh, people and that can be cause of accidents as well. But somebody who's doing 98 in a 100 kilometre zone shouldn't in any way feel intimidated that they have to pull in or that they have to speed up because the danger is, is if you're that close to the full driving limit that you will go over and you could end up at 110 without knowing it and then before you know it there'd be a, a speed check up ahead and it's you're the one that's going to get caught not the bus driver behind. So please don't feel intimidated. And earlier in the week we were talking about rubbish and we were talking about there was a really good letter in from a listener who was naming out different areas in and around kind of the airport and around Kinsale and that kind of general Riverstick area and was sort of suggesting that we could do this right across the county that maybe local councillors or TDs could get involved and do cleanups. I mean, there's been fantastic cleanups done in so many areas, but this listener was saying every area really needs a good cleanup at the, at the moment. The council not in a position to do it. They don't have the funds to do it. So it's up to us. If you live in an area and there's a lot of rubbish, maybe organise some kind of a cleanup, socially distance, of course, and do your own cleanup. Well, that led to Julia in Formoy to say we spent two hours cleaning the roads with rubbish over the last week. Contacted the local council to see if they could come collect and take away the rubbish that we collected. This, by the way, is not Julia's rubbish. She was just cleaning the roadways in her area. The local council told me they do not do this anymore. They don't collect the rubbish. My son did a lot of this and to think we did good and now we have all the rubbish and we're left with the rubbish inside our gates on our own private property. I rang a local councillor who said, I'll organise something for you. I'll get a truck to come out and collect it. I was promised that that would happen, but it still hasn't happened but it has left me feeling kind of a bad feeling about what I'd done. We've been trying to do some good but I think they're leaving us with the rubbish. I'm really surprised by that because I've seen now maybe it's because they only collect from recognised tidy towns groups because I regularly see in my own area where I live fantastic litter pickers go out picking up um, other people's rubbish and you'll see you'll clearly see they're normally like a greeny or a bluey coloured bag and they're left out filled with rubbish that's been collected and then it's the council come along and collect it so I'm surprised to hear but maybe they don't do it from individual people maybe it has to be some part of a group or or, or something but I would suggest uh, Julie if the bags haven't been collected since because I know that came in earlier in the week get back onto the councillor point it out point out what has happened and that it hasn't been collected because maybe just fallen through the the cracks somehow but as I say certainly from the Tidy Towns groups the council are very good about collecting the rubbish that they collect and then Michael in Glengariff on the same kind of topic said I travel the Bantry line up to Crookstown the amount of rubbish along that roadside is just far too much. Um, 
I think arrive in C. I think, and when you arrive in CUH, the amount of masks lying around the car park are absolutely shocking, and that's the ongoing issue that we are constantly. We're now over a year talking about that—the disposable masks—and I mentioned that actually at the start of the week, last weekend, for some strange reason, and I don't know why. I happened to spot a lot of those disposable masks. People just discarding them. Please bring them home with you or put them into a bin. All of the supermarkets have uh, bins but don't be just dumping them on the ground expecting somebody else to pick it up for you. 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code MOM. 
This is the Court Today replay on C103. Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins us with some suggestions for movies over Easter. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Okay, you. your first movie is Tom and Jerry and the second is a, a drama mystery called The Winter Lake. But let's start with a trailer from Tom and Jerry. February 26th. It's a cat and mouse situation and everyone knows you just don't get involved. Witness the rivalry so big. Smash that mouse up here. He's just an innocent little mouse. It could take down the whole city. Well, this is a disaster. Tom and Jerry, the movie. Now, this sounds just perfect for Easter holidays. Children are off school and uh, parents are trying to keep everybody occupied. I'm assuming Tom and Jerry, as in Tom and Jerry, the cartoon we all grew up with. Exactly. It's exactly what you and I grew up with. Yeah, well, but kind of a kind of a modern twist to it, really, you know. And I wish, as, as you say, it is Easter. I wish it was way better than it actually is. Ah. Uh, but certainly, look... Yeah, well, the kids will certainly enjoy it, I think, uh, of a certain age. I think they will. Uh, like you and me, like I just said, we all grew up with it back in the 60s. It was Chuck Jones, in fact, who used to do the animation back in uh, the 50s. No, it was the 60s, actually. And uh, the thing is, is that, of course, they were really quite violent. And um, the reason why they were violent is that they weren't made for kids at all. They were actually made for the cinema, for adults. They used to have them as teasers before movies. And then when Hanna-Barbera started to remake them again in the 70s, they decided, look, you know, we'll just relax the violence ever so slightly. And what we'd also do is they kind of, they decided to remodel the look of them. And I never liked that new look of Tom and Jerry. And in fact, that's the look, in fact, that they've gone for here. Uh, rather than the Chuck Jones uh, version from uh, back in the 60s. And the other interesting thing, too, is that back in 1992, they made a Tom and Jerry film where they actually gave them voices, which was very controversial at the time. And it didn't work. And I remember seeing it and being really, really uncomfortable uh, watching it. Do you remember, too, they did it with um, the Pink Panther? Do you remember that at all? I do, yeah. And it was disastrous. It was a disaster, yeah, yeah, and I know that they always regretted it. So what they decided to do here is they decided, okay, we're not going to give them voices for this film, which is odd because all of the other animals actually speak, like Spike, Spike the dog. Remember the big, big dog? Yeah, he's in yeah. this as well. He's, he's got a voice. Uh, they've got elephants. Yes, elephants in the film. They speak, uh, the alley cats speak, uh, but Tom and Jerry actually don't speak at all in, in, in the film. And the other interesting thing about is is their look. As I say, they've got that kind of 70s kind of look to this. So it, they, what they decided to do, with well, the director anyway, is that he didn't want to go down that kind of 3D kind of um, alleyway with the two characters. He wanted them to look very kind of 2D-ish, very simple and very like, you know, the original television series. And I'm not sure that really quite works. I mean, I, I, you know, I want to give the, the animators as much credit as possible because they did most of this at home whilst the pandemic was on. And so they did develop software whereby they would first of all make it in 3D, but then they would squash it and flatten it. Uh, but unfortunately, I think sometimes, even though it's not a cheap movie, there are times when it actually looks a bit cheap, and I think that's a bit of a shame. Uh, basically, what happens is, is that um, Tom and Jerry, uh, through no fault of their own, end up in this hotel uh, there they meet uh, the character of Kayla, here played by Chloe Grace Moretz. Now, of course, having a mouse in a hotel is not a very, very good <laughs> idea because, of course, they don't particularly like that. And they've got a big, they've got the big, this big celebrity wedding coming up in the hotel, so they want everything to, to, to be right. So the manager of the hotel gives uh, Chloe Grace Moretz and Tom uh, the job to clear out Jerry to get rid of the mouse. But, of course, as you know, historically, Jerry is way more intelligent than Tom. And, uh, in fact, I always remember watching the cartoons with my dad, and my dad always said the exact same thing. He always said, 
poor Tom. Because <laughs> Jerry I found was myself... one. Yeah, Jerry Orr was one. Yeah. And poor old Tom gets hammered. And it's the same here. And I found myself going, poor Tom. <laughs> you know? and, he, and so Jerry just gives him such a hard time. So the slapstick is there. And yes, the violence is there. But look, it's so comedic. And it's so unreal that I think it's perfectly fine. The problem is the rest of it, unfortunately. It's almost like they thought, well, look, we'll have... We'll have this wonderful animation of Tom and Jerry just smacking 10 bells out of each other. And that will do. And then we'll just fill in whatever else we need to fill in. And that's a bit of a shame. It's, uh, I wish the writers had gone in and kind of thought, of thought about the human characters and made them nicer, actually, because most of them, like Michael Peña is in it, Rob Delaney is in it, Ken Young is in it, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz is in it. And they're not very nice people. There's a kind of a, a sense of aggression with, with a lot of these characters, which I think was a bit of a shame. And that's the pity. But it's when Tom and Jerry are on screen and they are smacking 10 bells out of each other. That's when it is funny. And that's when I kind of enjoyed it. But other than that, um, I'm afraid I didn't enjoy the rest of it. I thought it was quite boring. And so I was thinking of, look, nine or 10 year olds would probably love it. They love the, the cartoony bits. They love the animation. And in fact, I believe Hannah and Barbera actually did a lot of uh, the voices for them, for the characters back in the, the 70s themselves, all the screams and the shouts, you know, and they've used all of those. So that's nice to hear uh, that. Um, but I think, though, if kids are watching this, they will love it when Tom and Jerry are on screen. But unfortunately, when they're not on screen, I think they'll become very, very yeah, bored and, by it. And children, particularly little boys, love that slapstick and, you know, the mouse beating 10 bells out of the cat and vice versa. I mean, they, the children will really enjoy it. Well, the thing is, is that that's the thing. I mean, I grew up watching it. I'm the least violent person you've ever met. So, I mean, I wasn't affected by it in any way. Do you know what I mean? And also the portrayal, of course, of the maid, which nowadays would be considered to be stereotypical. Uh, that's something you don't see either. I used to love the maid because you'd only see her feet, if you remember. Yeah, you see yeah. her, maybe her legs and yeah. her stockings. It was very funny. I loved that character. And of course, you know, I'm the least racist person so you'd ever meet in your, your life. So, um, it, so th- I think the kids know it's not real. Kids know that, you know, if you fall three floors, you're going, you know, you've got to be very badly injured you're not just going to get up and walk away it's a cartoon and yeah so i i just wish it could have been better it's not terrible but unfortunately it's not great either okay so that's tom and uh, jerry market out of 10 i'll give it five five out of ten i'm just wondering do young children today have they you can't they can't see the old tom and jerry cartoons can you or are they up on youtube or something I, well, I presume they're on YouTube. I presume yeah. you'll be able to find them online somewhere. Um, I haven't seen them in years. If you remember, you and I were pretty much the same age when, you know, it was like a mainstay of yeah, kind of yeah, our television yeah. upbringing. Yeah. And uh, they used to be on TV all the time. And I used to love them. And as I say, especially the Chuck Jones early 1960s ones, which were brilliant because he was, of course, one of just the great animators. And uh, But I always enjoyed them. And uh, certainly, I think, yeah, you can find anything on YouTube nowadays. And I presume uh, some of those old Tom and Jerry's are there. It's just interesting to watch some of them again. OK, from Tom and Jerry, we're going to the other extreme this is the winter lake which is a drama thriller uh it's an irish film actually oh. and um yeah ah uh, goodness me what what can i say it's it's one of these irish films that we, that we we seem to be very good at and that is we make these very gloomy depressive 
kind of psychological dramas. And we make a lot of them. And usually I do like them. But this one I found very difficult to warm to because, of course, it's so cold. Uh, because, and that's why it's called The Winter Lake, because it's set in winter. And so, therefore, um, it's interesting some of the reviews where they refer to uh, the, the Irish weather to kind of describe what they thought of the film. So it's always it's like, it's as gloomy as a winter's day in Cork. Or it's as overcast as a soft day in Kerry. You know, a lot of the, um, yeah, there's a lot of kind of characters looking out over kind of dark gloomy wet bogs for for what seems like an eternity there's an awful lot of that going on in this film some of it is pretty good though i mean it's a it's a very very dark kind of very serious film uh we are introduced very early on to a film uh, the character of elaine who's played here by charlie murphy a dublin actress who's very very good indeed and she lives in leeds with her young son and she had him at a very, very uh, early age. And so there's hardly any difference really in the age between them. And he is kind of psychologically kind of very kind of sensitive. And he has gotten involved in some kind of knife action. Where there's a lot of references to the fact that he has a propensity for using knives. So she's desperate to try and get him out of Leeds. And what happens is her grandfather back in Ireland has passed away and has left a house in County Sligo, in the moors of kind of County Sligo to her. So she comes to Ireland, first of all, to get uh, her son away from, uh, you know, um, the parts of Leeds that uh, are quite dangerous, and also to deal with her father's um, house. And the thing is, even though it's out pretty much out in the middle of nowhere, in between their house and a house next door is this lake. And what happens is, is that depending on the amount of uh, rain you get, the lake will add, will either kind of, uh, rise uh, or, or lower. And when it was lower at one stage, the little boy, well, he's not a little boy, he's in his teens, little Tom, paid by Anson Boom here. He finds, in a kind of a linen bag, he finds a uh, the remains, the skeleton remains of a child. And, of course, there's only one other house nearby, and that's populated by Malcolm McElhatton and his daughter. And so it doesn't take too much investigation to know where this kind of baby came from. And so I won't go on, and I won't talk about it very much anymore, and I won't give any more away there. But I'll just say that it is very, very grim indeed. And I did find it quite a slog. Some of the acting is very, very good. Um, the main actress in, in the film, her name is Emma Mackey, and you would think with a name like that that she'd be Irish, but in fact, in France, who's actually English, and she has a very good uh, Irish uh, accent. The other thing is that she looks very, very like Margot Robbie. And when I was watching it, I actually, uh, at times, I had to kind of remind myself that it wasn't uh, uh, Margot, Margot Robbie. Yeah, she and does she's very look good. like oh, her. I've, I've, yeah. seen, I've just seen stills of her. And I, when I saw picked it up it's first, I thought it was Margot Robbie as well. Yeah, it's, yeah, you do. When you see the poster, you think it's actually her. And so, um, so everybody in the film just seems to be unstable. There's very little laughter. There's very little smiling. I mean, if my life kind of revolved around, you know, what they have to put up with and the way they behave every single day, I'm not sure I would like that very much indeed. I just found it. It's so gloomy and so depressive. And I found it a slog to try and get to the end. And, uh, but I did. And uh, so I'd certainly recommend it. I think artistically, I think people with who are kind of who, who certainly wouldn't want to watch, um, you know, uh, Tom and Jerry, uh, this will be something that they would probably prefer. And certainly the critics, I mean, the critics, if you give if you give a critic a choice between Tom and Jerry and this, of course, they'll go for this and say this is a much better film. But if you were to if you were to come to me and say, Mark, which film do you want to watch again? Do you want to watch Tom and Jerry again or do you want to watch this The Winter Leg again? Yeah, somebody else has watched it. Another listener said, yeah, I enjoyed it, but I would describe it as a sombre and a bleak movie. 
Oh, it's so bleak. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. And the bleakness just continues on and on again. It's a dark sky. It's a dark movie populated by very dark, depressive people. But some of the performances are excellent. And And, uh, yeah, so I'd still recommend people to watch it, of course. And the sun does shine in Ireland some days. Okay, so the Winter Lake market out of 10? I'll give it four. Four? Okay, Tom and Jerry yeah. got five out of ten. The Winter Lake gets four out of ten. Listen, have a lovely Easter and uh, we'll talk to you next Friday. Thanks for that. That is Mark Malone, okay. our movie a reviewer. 1850 Thank you to somebody who sent on when we were talking about the collection of rubbish and about local people going out and collecting because this was prompted by a letter that was sent in from one of our listeners earlier in the week who was saying that we need more community spirit and that we need to organise cleanups of areas and if you live in an area are you regularly driving on a road leading to your house or leading to your place of work and you notice that there's a lot of litter then maybe we should all start collectively getting together ourselves and organise to do a little bit of litter picking. Somebody has sent me in a picture of I can't even count the amount of huge big sacks of rubbish that were collected recently in Ballydesmond all collected from the side of the road by locals so we have many really fantastically civic minded people who get out there and pick up other people's dirt. If we could just stop the other people from throwing out the rubbish, there'd be no need for people to have to go out and pick up the rubbish. We were talking about aggressive driving. Somebody reckons Kerry drivers are very aggressive. I'll just leave that one there, saying no more. And thank you to our Corkman living in Germany, who's back to say, Patricia, when I was talking about how bad the cases are in Germany, and they're rising, rising, rising all the time. Uh, just to let you know, says uh, says this gentleman, that it's the UK variant, the B1, it's now 88% of all of the daily cases in Germany. I'm living in Essen, which is very bad at the moment. Stay safe. And God knows, stay safe yourself uh, as well, please. And hi, Patricia. The government are still allowing people in from abroad. It is a joke. And yet they're still telling us, the Irish people, we need to stay at home. How are we going to control the virus when all of this is happening? We need to lock down the country even uh, further. And someone else is complaining about Leo Varadkar and Simon uh, Coveney, particularly when it comes to the quarantining hotel and suggest that if you sent them for water they'd, they'd probably go with a bucket with a hole in it. It is beyond sense or reason. We are living in the middle of a pandemic. We need to lock this country down and if that means introducing more countries into the quarantine system then please do it. Margaret says lots of litter picking going on around the roads in Bandon in the last a few weeks and the council collected all at the end. Well done to all. Absolutely well done to all. Okay that's where I leave you uh, for today and I'm actually off for Easter so John Paul will be filling in for me across next week so until Monday week have a lovely Easter. Uh, look after yourselves and more than anything uh, keep yourself and your loved ones uh, safe. We'll talk after Easter. Nick Richards is next. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.